for just about everything for the outdoors. Go to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. This all starts with an email from a hunter just like you, and then a phone call. This is Joe Gillia from Elk Bros. Hey, Joe, what a surprise. Beagle's right behind me. He's screaming back. Um, I was probably 1920 um, before I first got in the woods. What you're about to hear is an actual phone call from myself calling someone just like you to talk about your elk hunt and the stories that came with it. And they were just going crazy on September 3rd. Where I could cut down and get back into the timber and I had the wind in my face, which was perfect. I literally, I think I got chills. And then we're like, well, now what do we do? Real people on real hunts sharing their experiences, the highs, the lows, the laughs, the learning moments. And we even talk strategies and possible alternatives to help other folks as well. My name is Joe Gillia. Welcome everyone to a special audio experience of Blue Collar Elk Hunting's Elk Camp Conversations. Hello, Tom. Hello. Thomas. Yes. Hey, this is Joe Gillia from Elk Bros, bud. Hey, Joe, what a surprise. Thank you for the phone call. Yeah, I'm trying to get my audio done here, man. So, Tom, before we get started, I need to tell you something, man, that um, this is the first time this has been done. So excuse me if I, if I just kind of stumble through this, but, but you and I are being recorded and you are going to be the man of the hour for our newest blue collar elk hunting show that we are calling Elk Camp Conversations. <laughs> oh, neat. That sounds really, really neat. I'm glad to, glad to get to be a part of it. Oh, man. You know, uh, 
It's so funny, man. When I got um, your text, and so understand that this conversation that we're having is basically going to be for other people to hear, um, other people to listen to. So even though it's just going to be a conversation that you and I have, and so don't worry about any of that. But I just wanted this show to be about everyday folks having a conversation about the ups, downs, the soul-filling highs, and the gut-wrenching lows, all of that that happens when we're out there on an elk hunt, man. And first of all, man, I just want to congratulate you on your first ever public land DIY archery bull and solo. And solo. I was so blessed to get involved with elk bros and you know, learning how to elk hunt on my own because I had been on, you know, guided elk hunts, but I just, I felt like there was more there than what I was getting out of it. I mean, I was harvesting animals, but I really wanted to develop myself. And that's how I got involved with elk bros because I listened to a few podcasts and started Uh to pick up on, this is what, there's so much more to it than, um, they put you in the truck and they take you out and show you this elk. You know, it's not that way at all for for a DIY person. And so I had to develop a lot, a lot of myself. Um, and that's difficult and painstaking work. Um, and I I felt like I had a coach through it, which was all of the guys at Elk Bros because <laughs> I took little bits and pieces from everybody. Um, you know, I like. I like Big O because he's like so optimistic and, you know, he's like, just get in there, you know, just delve in there and do it, you know, and, and that attitude served me well because, you know, as a whitetail hunter in Illinois, I have a tendency to want to sit back and be more an observant and he's like, you got to get in there with them, you know, uh-huh. and then, you know, talking to Luis, um, helping me to get a proper arrow set up for what I was doing and then just all the little little things that help happen around elk camp that, you know, I had talked, um, you know, with my friends about, you know, being out there by myself and what was I going to do to be, try and be as safe as, as possible um, so, for a long period of time because it wasn't just a short hunt. It was, I was going until I was, you know, until the tag ran out or I, I couldn't hunt anymore. So how many days? Oh, so let's, let's back up a little bit because I definitely want to get to the hunt and I want to talk about your journey and all of that stuff, man. I, I'm, I'm, you don't know how this makes us feel when we get letters or texts or messages from people that, and that's what's so cool was, you know, I, I got one from you and we'll talk about that message in a few minutes, but really all of this and the way, the way that I ended up getting a text from you was because the first time we ever communicated was because you had actually purchased the base camp for a friend of yours that had difficulty and and because you purchased I had your phone number and then so I gave you a phone call to make sure that your friend um, got all set up and everything on that so that's that's really how you had my number right right so I, I mean the Elk bros, you look at it and you're like, oh, this, these are popular people. I mean, in my world, I'm a hunter. I love it. So I'm like, these are celebrities, you know? And so when I, you know, I first, I ordered something off the website, uh-huh. you know, because I want to be supportive. I want to be supportive of what you guys do in your business. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to get a hat and whatever. And then, 
you know, I get it. And it's signed by RC Knox, you know, and I'm like, Hey man, I got this dude's autograph. This is really cool. He's a legend, you know? And then I, I ordered base camp, um, for, I ordered it for myself first and I was like, Uh Oh my goodness, this is so powerful. Um, it really spoke to me and in a, a way that I could go through it in my own speed, in my own time. But I also realized the, how important, uh, the lessons were in there, mm-hmm. um, but they were taught in a way that I could um, get what I needed from them because everybody has different. Um, I've hunted a long time, but I was like at 90% of what I needed to know, and that last 10% is what pushes you over the now you can get an elk right. type of a thing right. and have that confidence to do it and to go after it. But for for me, um, sharing it with my friend was important because I wanted him to start to develop some of those those skills because as we we had planned to hunt together that we could help each other um, right his strong points would be maybe my weak points and and we would build our knowledge base of being able to learn how to call elk and learn it's not so much about just calling them but what are they thinking what's their mood what's their tone mm-hmm. and if you're sleeping out in the stars with them you can if you pay attention to them they will teach you um what you need to to know yeah, I and so we we had that. I got you and your buddy all set up. Next thing I know, um, I'm getting an email from you asking for, you know, contact to Luis and and Luis made that contact and helped you out with arrows, from what I understand, right? So I was I really I I wanted to to be all inclusive in what I did as mm-hmm. far as you know I wanted to get my mind right and get my body ready for this hunt and all of these things that were just part of, it became part of my life. It was mm-hmm. like, um, I needed to exercise because, you know, big O's out there walking two miles on the beach. So I'm like, well, if he's doing that, you know, I know I don't have to do CrossFit every day, but I can't just be a bum either and expect <laughs> to go out in the mountains, you know, cause you come from Illinois and you know, we're just not in typically as good a shape as people that live in the mountains. Yeah. So, you know, I started with that and then I was like, you know what, I would really like to develop um, my arrow setup because I just went to my local bow shop and they did a great job. They're mm-hmm. great guys and they're good friends of mine. Um, but I was like, I wanted something that I just had really a lot of confidence in. And the only way I knew to have confidence in it was to, to with their help, uh, with the help of Louise, to develop an arrow setup that was going to be um, that I didn't have any doubts in. And I knew, I know that they build whitetail arrows here, but this was a completely different creature. And so he kind of walked me through FOC and what I needed to do, and I didn't need to go crazy, but I wanted to be confident. And when I went to the um, elk woods that, you know, I felt like I could shoot and be um, very accurate and that I was going to get a good uh, quick kill with, with what I did. Yep. And, and, and the arrow setup is um, I just got a doe with um, my my bow and um you know i was just so excited to, to to harvest her and to use those arrows and i was like oh my goodness it's crazy how good it all worked the way it was supposed to so let's um one thing we haven't done is everybody knows that i'm calling thomas um introduce yourself a little bit um thomas where you're from and then we're going to talk a little bit about um your elk hunting journey and and talk about exactly what happened this season and some of the things that changed that for you so um this is thomas mckenna and tell everybody about where you're from and your background in hunting 
Sure. Um, so I'm just kind of a 52-year-old guy from um, central Illinois. Um, my career is kind of interesting. I'm a large and a small animal veterinarian. Oh, wow. And I... Yeah, so that's. I also have a farming business, a small trucking business, and so I just have my hands in a lot of things and have a lot of great people that help me to be able to do those things uh-huh. and raise uh, Angus cattle. And so just a diversity of things. As far as my hunting, hunting has been something that, you know, oh, my, Where do you live? My, where I'm sorry, where do you live? I live in um, central Illinois by Low Point, Illinois. Oh, okay. All right. A little town here. It's kind of a rural area, um, north of uh, Peoria by Caterpillar. Awesome, man! Um, and so let's talk about that hunting. So yeah, my hunting. I just I as a child, I I, I wanted to hunt, but my my dad didn't really hunt anything but pheasants and 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 rabbits, and and I worked um, for um, a veterinarian in northern Illinois that loved loved to go elk hunting and loved to deer hunt, and so kind of I worked for him through high school and worked as hard as I could for him. I don't know that I wanted to be the uh, great veterinarian, but I wanted him to take me hunting because people knew he was a great hunter. And so he eventually I earned his trust and he, he took me hunting. Um, How and cool is that, man, to have a mentor was, like that, huh? Yeah, I never got to elk hunt with him, but we, you know, him and his son and his family taught me um how to bow hunt uh, deer, white-tailed deer. He helped me hang my first deer stand, uh, helped me through times when I missed the biggest deer in my life that I'd ever seen and, you know, gave me a hard time about it, but also taught me that, you know, you do need to sight your gun in. And I didn't, I didn't know that when I was young. Um, and so uh, I learned then from his family, who are dear friends of mine now that, that run coyote hounds all year, um, they run them in the summer. They run them in the winter. And now, coy- now that's a, lot- a new one for me. I've never heard of coyote hounds before. Yeah, they're they're like a running walker dog, and they are um, really quite incredible athletes. Um, wow! I would say kind of close to like the dogs that people use for cats, but they're sure they're like um, they're very very athletic, and they um, are able to um, scent use scent to uh-huh. chase yeah yeah um, no i i totally so. get it i mean you know i mean i come from the country where you know people run dogs for bear they run dogs for cougar i've i've just never heard of coyote dogs before that that's that's interesting that's pretty cool yeah it's really neat so i've been i that's something that i did when i was going to vet school every weekend that i could go hunting with these folks i would go hunting uh-huh. and trying just to, to learn. So, I mean, that started, you know, my first deer in Illinois was when I was like 15 and, and now I'm 52 and wow, had the opportunities, flies. some wonderful opportunities. So elk hunting, um, how long have you been? When did you start elk hunting? I started elk hunting because one of the coyote hunters wanted to go elk hunting in Wyoming. Uh-huh. And so, um, you know, we kind of got a, a smaller outfitter there and, and, and uh, was able to harvest um, my first bull there in Wyoming with him. And then... How long ago was my, that, bud? That was, goodness, I'm going to say probably 15, 15, at least 15 years ago, maybe 18. Okay. Uh, and so have you, like, if we're looking at 15 years ago, have you hunted elk every year or... 
is that um, uh, about how many times have you been out west to hunt elk? So I, I went on a, I've been even elk hunting when I didn't have a tag. Uh-huh. That tells you how much I love it. I, a friend of mine that's a veterinarian took me on a backcountry hunt in Montana where I just was able to ride along on the horses. And, oh, and that's so awesome, and, huh? So it was an awesome hunt. I mean, I, I really, it was really, really interesting. And then I've been to um, New Mexico a couple of times with a really great outfitter. Um, down in in New Mexico and got to hunt near the Gila um, down there and so I've been to Montana twice and or actually been to Montana four times I guess New Mexico twice and Wyoming once. Okay, all right. So you got you got a few years of elk hunting under your belt. It, it's it it uh, every time that I could draw a tag I I would go and if I got fortunate enough to draw two tags then by golly I would go. Um, and if I didn't draw a tag, I would try and go with, with even some of the outfitters that I've been with were nice enough that said, you come back and just, you know, you can come spot and uh, game for us or whatever, and we'll put you up. So That's it's been so an cool. interesting, yeah. So what, what were these archery hunts, were these rifle hunts? Um, so they were rifle hunts, and they were, um, I didn't do any, um, archery hunts until, um, I didn't do any archery hunts until two, three years ago was my first one. But okay. when I hunted in New Mexico, those were muzzleloader hunts. I was able to do two muzzleloader hunts. So, uh, uh-huh. yeah. So, uh, so the whole archery thing just new to you? So I have archery hunted deer, um, since I was 15 years old. Uh-huh. Um, oh, cool. So, but I, archery hunting deer and elk, I would say, are really, there's a big, um, a big leap there, a big difference um, for me, at least, not just only equipment, but just the way that you get to hunt elk is certainly different than the t- way that we would typically archery hunt in Illinois. Right. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit different ball game, huh? Yeah. So, I, buddy, I get this text from you that says, uh, and and I just can't tell you how it made me feel, you know, to get this text. And it said, hi, Joe, I wanted to thank you and the Elk Bros crew. Thank you so much. You guys have changed my life. Um, and it says, your kindness and willingness to teach and understanding of hunting pushed me to a, ne- a new level. I killed my first archery bull DIY public ground. Used your scenarios, got right in with the herd, hunted 30 days. I had a marginal shot, but a pass through on a five by five. And I get this photo and it's of a, a bullhead there. And so you know, right away, man, I'm I'm like pumped when I get this, and it it just really touched me, bud. And so I just wanted to thank you for that, and and find out and talk a little bit about this hunt and the journey that got you there, and all the things that helped you to get there, so that you know maybe we can share this with other people that it helps them to have some of the incredible experiences that you just had. Yeah, I think that. Um... You know, I've been fortunate. I've been blessed to be able to go on many hunts, and I, I oftentimes I don't really remember the animal that I harvest, but I remember the people that I was with and mm-hmm. what we did and and how the hunting, hunting was. And I feel like I, I, 
I feel like I was an astute hunter. I, I, I love hunting and I love the pursuit of game and, and I enjoy that very much. And I just was missing just a little bit of it. And it was, um, you know, it, I felt like I had 90% of the knowledge to, to, to get done and everybody has these little things that they don't do right. But part of it was just me as, as a person, I needed to develop myself, um, more and I I got that from what you guys were saying and it, it's like you guys have your podcast and weekly they come out and I don't think people realize the amount of effort that goes into really being successful at elk hunting it's not something that you can just be like oh I'm going to go elk hunting in September and you pack your <laughs> truck in August and you leave right. I mean it really it really has to be and it really means something to you um nothing against going on a, a guided hunt, but to be able to have the opportunity to go on public ground that we all as Americans is part of, it's part of us. We, we pay for it and, and we should cherish it because Absolutely. the experience that we can have out there is just to me was um, it involved a, a lot of things that, you know, I had to um, really watch what my diet was. I had to get my weight in a, in a, area where I could get around the mountains. And I had some fears that I needed to overcome. I, I had difficulty with navigation, particularly at night, like getting lost. And then just being in an unfamiliar environment in the dark, even I, I didn't notice it until I listened to your you're talking about maybe walking, you know, getting back to camp at 10 o'clock. And I'm like, you mean people are getting home in the dark, you know? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I would like to get home in the light. And then I realized, well, uh, well, most of the game moves, you know, right before dark and you may be two hours from home and, and that's okay. And the first night that I was like out there and I'm like, it's the stars and it's the wolves and it's me. And it's just, you know, it took me, I had to be okay with where I was. Right. Um, to, to do that. But I had to know, I felt some confidence because I'm like, well, if Joe does it and, you know, Big O does it, it must be okay. And they've gotten lost and they survived. Okay, you know? dude, where were you hunting? What state were you hunting in? I was, oh gosh, I was hunting in Idaho. Okay. All right. You were hunting in Idaho. Um, they have wolves, right? Yes, they have wolves. Yeah. So, so I will tell you this, Joe and Big O have been hunting in New Mexico and Colorado. We haven't dealt with wolves. So, uh, but at the same time, it's, you know, it's interesting because I hunted in Canada just recently and, you know, the big fear there is grizz and wolves and, you know, I mean, we have cats here and we deal with that yeah. all the time, but, um, you know, I've never been in Grizz country other than that before. And, and you know, it's it's weird. I don't know if it's my own stupidity and because I haven't had that encounter and I haven't had to deal with it. Probably if I saw my first Grizz, that would rock my boat enough that it would change some of the ways that I saw things when, you know, when I'm out there in the woods. But, you know, you've got to be prudent, yes, but... I've always said, and, and you've heard me say this, that it's real easy to create monsters under the bed to, mm -hmm. you know, to actually create the fears that do things. And it, it's good to have respect. It's good to be prepared, but not to the point where 
um, you have developed this innate fear that keeps you from being able to do some of the things that are out there and that you can actually do. So I, I think that I think that's awesome that that's something that, you know, that helped you. And so you did change that comfort level out there, huh? There, you, you definitely, I, I feel as though, you know, the big ones for me was just, and being afraid of the dark, or I don't want to say that it's being afraid of the dark, but it's being in an unknown mm-hmm. area at night. Right. And it just seems like, you know, well, what's the difference between daylight and dark? Well, I mean, the same like, stuff is out there. It's just yep. that just the you color. Know, your, mind ha- your mind has a tendency to do things to you. And so you have to really, I had to work through that and right. how I was going to handle myself and, um, in those situations and just, you know, taking a deep breath and being like, okay, you know, I have these tools that I've learned to use, whether it was Onyx or, um, you know, using, um, the, the, the paper um, maps that I had, um, uh, carried along or whether it was, um, using the, um, Gaia or, or whatever. I, I just, I had a sense of, I was much more comfortable in, in being able to do that. And so that was a big fear for me is just being able to guide myself if I was out at night. And I was often, I would leave in the dark and I would get home, um, at night. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that helped me is where I camped at, I was, I was, I, I met some gentlemen from California that, um, you know, I thought, oh boy, they're from California. This is going to be interesting. But uh, as fellow hunters, I, I was, I was going after an elk that they were after. And mm-hmm. one of them whistled at me and was like, Hey, you know, my boys are going after that elk. And I'm like, Oh, I apologize. Oh, I, so this happened I when you were out in the woods, right? When you Yeah. When I was okay. out in the woods uh-huh. and I was like, Oh, I had already walked like two and a half miles into this. I spotted them right at daylight and I actually did, I heard him. And so I was moving in the dark and when I got up, there was daylight and I was trying to glass him. And then these guys, the one gentleman whistled at me and I was like, Oh no, this is, you know, not good. And uh-huh. so I thought, Oh, I wonder how this is going to go. Cause oftentimes you, you know, you hear stories or I've had people that just weren't nice and these guys were super nice. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm not going after it. I'll stop. You know, you're they're ahead of me. So it, it's all good. And they're like, well, Hey, just stay here and camp with us, you know? Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> it was really cool because then I was able, they, they were nice enough. I'm like, oh, I, they didn't have a lot of experience archery hunting. So I said, well, you know, I'll call for you, like, and see if we could call an elk in, you know, and work together instead of me by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was able to, to make some uh, friends on the mountain and they were super nice people. And I, appreciated that they were kind enough to offer me to stay with them. So, so that gave you a little bit of security there, just knowing that other people knew you were out there and stuff, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, just even uh, people, I met a sheriff out there, deputy, when I was at the trailhead, you know, and he stopped and talked to me and he said he does rescues out there. And so that gave me some securities like, hey, here's my cell phone. Not that I could use it because he said there's not cell service up there. But he said, if you need to contact me because you're by yourself, something happens, you know, you can definitely use your uh, Garmin to contact me. So here's my information. And so it was really nice. Some very nice people I met. Yeah, that's huge. You know, so that's a good point. Just, you know, creating those ties, creating, 
you know, that little bit of a safety net, whether it be with people that you're at home or with buddies um, that you might not be hunting with, but that are out there just so you guys can kind of check on each other. That all of that stuff kind of helps to get get you feeling better about where you're at and what you're doing, right? And I just I feel like it just it just came out of being uh, human and being kind to Absolutely. another person. <laughs> and so I didn't I didn't look at those guys as like, oh, they're competitors to me, you know, we're both going after the same elk and it's like, mm-hmm. no, you know, I've been I've been to places where people's sole goal was like what size antlers they got and as I've um developed as a hunter more I've realized that it is truly more the experiences of building yourself up and not only yourself but building other people around you up and that is that helped me a bunch because I'm a terribly competitive person and but once I realized that hey they're here to have a good time they're here to feed their families they they um want the same things that I do so as fellow hunters why are we going to be against each other let's work together you know Um, i've often thought i i've often thought like i try to put it this way what would i do if i bumped into me in the woods in other words you know i know what's in my mindset what you know how i am what i'm trying to do out here how competitive i am and how much i love this and you know if i bumped into a person that was me out there and I treated them like dirt, man, and and not knowing, you know, that type of person, what they are, uh, how horrible is that, man? I mean, how would I react to a person that's doing that to me, you know? So I, I always try to think about that is there's, there's other Joes out there that are trying to do the same thing that Joe's trying to do today. And they're just as passionate. They love it just as much. They like the camaraderie. They're out here to change their lives. So I think if, you know, it's funny. I I don't know if you've seen some of those commercials where uh, it's a credit card commercial, and you know the 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 person that's calling the credit card for help is it's actually them that's helping themselves. You know, so it's mm-hmm. like you know we like to treat people the way we want to be treated, right? So uh, I I think sometimes if people were to you know just think on that level, man, you know that. It's just a bunch of me's out there. Now, we know that that's not always the case, but I think a lot of those people that are a little bit upset and angry out there have had bad experiences or they've had things or they just have some stuff that maybe I can help them get over just with a kind word or, you know, um, just being a whole different person. So, yeah, you that's that's awesome, Tom. I, yeah, I was, uh, so I had met those really, really great people and that just set my trip off in a really positive light. And then I had met some people that were not friendly and I would say they were maybe more than not friendly. They had camped in this place for many years and, you know, I was no good and not welcome. And, you know, years ago there would have been a confrontation there and I'm like, you know what? Hey, you know what? I know it's public ground and we all have the right to be here, but I don't want a problem, you know, yeah, I, yeah. I'll get along and it's not worth it. And I hope that my kindness toward them was that, Hey, we don't have to be, you know, like this. We can all um, kind of enjoy this and get along. And Absolutely, man. Yeah, no, totally hear you. So let's do this. 
because I, I, I want to get into the meat of things, man, because, dude, I am just so congratulations. I'm so pumped for you getting your first DIY bowl. And um, I want to talk about that. And then I, I'm going to ask you the things that kind of change the game or it might even just come out, you know. <laughs> but so tell me, man, I mean, tell me about the daggum bull. Tell me about the hunt. So um, the the hunt, I mean, it was, I, I go back to what started um, the hunt was um, that I was going to go to Idaho and I was going to be there by myself. And then I had a friend that was going to come and meet me for about four to five days of the hunt later on when he could get off of work. Um, so I had something to look forward to. Um, and, you know, the as so far as company kind of, goes, right? Yeah. So right. As far as yeah. having, you know, human uh, a companionship yeah. to yeah. have someone there to talk to because that's a long time to to be um, by yourself. So how and long were you going to be out there? I was going to be there. It, the season opened on August the 28th, and uh -huh. uh, it was open until the 30th of September. So and you're I had 30 days, huh? Yeah, I was going to stay the whole time until how something happened. How cool and is that? It, well, what was really cool about it is that I really got to appreciate how the elk um, changed mm -hmm. through that time period. Um, you know, from when they were in just, you know, being elk and they weren't being pestered because I got there like two days before the season. So I got to see them both like just out grazing and, you know, there's nobody bothering them to, you know, the middle of the rut when the pressure was on from, you know, there was people coming from every different direction. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so there was, there was so much that was happening that changed over the time period of a month, um, hunting them from when, you know, they were responsive to calls to, they weren't responsive to calls to, if you called them, they were going to run the other direction type of thing, mm -hmm. depending on what you, what you did. I just think, you know, 30 days, when you talk to somebody like you talk about the fears that you had before and you talk about the human companionship and stuff like that, dude, 30 days can also be a grind. It can be a little tough as well. So it, was there a change of mindset or was there any tough part in that? Did did you learn to appreciate from the beginning and it just keep growing? I think that I just, I, I think that, you know, the struggle at first was just really, um, that was difficult was just finding the elk. And that was one of the things that I had always struggled with. And I, I, I wasn't patient. And, you know, you just, you think that, oh, there's all these elk, they, they should just be behind every tree, you know, and you just, you know, you look for a couple hours and, um, you know, I had to change the way that I was hunting. And one of the things that I had to do was like, you know, I just wanted to go feel secure and I wanted to walk down the trail that was marked. And, you know, you go from the trailhead and you walk the trail and yeah, that's yeah. a very secure feeling. Yeah. But, you know, I didn't find very many elk tracks that were on that trail. <laughs> but as soon as I, like, got off the trail, yeah. um, and part of that came from you, part of it came from Bo Beatty that has llamas that um, – I had the opportunity to visit with him and um, Mark Levisay, uh was yeah. able to visit with those guys. And they're like, Tommy, if you want to do this, you've got to get off the trails and you've got to be comfortable navigating there. Yep. And so 
once I got off the trails and I was like, why does Joe say to go hunt at noon? There's no animals moving at noon, but Joe's moving at noon. Why? Well, because he's looking for these areas, whether it be like a wallow or a fresh uh, rub on a tree, or he's looking for like beds or he's smelling like or seeing fresh sign of the elk. And like, once I got off the trails, I'm like, oh, I see what they're talking about. At first, I was seeing stuff that was like really old. You know, they had been there like a long time ago, but mm-hmm. they were there. But so just like getting in an area where I was like comfortable that there was elk there so that I could find a place to put my camp um, that I was carrying in. So, you know, I, I tried to do that all at once. Well, then I realized you can't carry 55 pounds in your back and then go off the trail and wander around. So I like just left my gear by a tree and then I just started walking, you know, to try and find where, where are these animals? And I would stop and I would spend time glassing and then, you know, they weren't really saying anything. So that was difficult because I was like, man, this is just like rifle season. They don't say anything. I can't find them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I spent a week wandering around where I was not in elk at all. So you're talking about seven days from August 28th. So I didn't see an elk, mm-hmm. zero. I never saw an elk, and I didn't have any fresh sign of elk. Okay, so this is awesome, man. So your first seven days, no fresh sign, hadn't seen an animal. What did you do to change? I just, I just, what do you call keep grinding? I mean, I was like, I, I, um, I have put my heart and soul into this hunt where mm-hmm. I was like, in Illinois, I was carrying a backpack that had 30 pounds in it, Pretty much every morning I would go for a hike. I'd ruck that sack. Just that reminded me when I was out there that, hey, it's going to be tough. Um, I went out and pre-scouted in the summer, and the mosquitoes were so bad at the lower (laughs) elevation. I mean, I didn't – I thought mosquitoes were bad like when, you know, five or six of them landed on you. Uh But I literally had – I had thousands of them like a – a cloud around my face, my head, even with the head net, it's almost claustrophobic. No, I remember how bad they were because we had so much moisture throughout the West. They just got horrendous. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at nine, it was like 90 degrees when I was out there scouting mm-hmm. and I was wearing a down jacket just so they wouldn't bite me anymore. I didn't, I mean, I was like, you couldn't even sit at night. You'd have to get in the tent as fast as you could and cook because. So let me ask were... you this, and, and and I think this is a good, and it's just a point I want to bring up. So you got mosquitoes that bad. As a human being, what are you wanting to do? You just want to quit. I mean, you're just, you, you're. I mean, you go stir crazy because. You want to get like, away from the mosquitoes, right? Yeah, you. so you got to go higher. Yeah. So that that's the thing that, that I always I'm trying to tell people and get them to think is that when you're trying to find elk, a lot of times all you have to do is think about the things that are causing you to do what you're doing. You know, if the mosquitoes are bad, you're going to try to get where they're not bad. If it's really hot, you're going to get out of the sun. You know, (laughs) it's, it's those type, if it's really, really cold, you're going to find an area where the sun's going to warm your body. The things that we're doing are the same things that they're doing. So, you know, where you're trying to find elk, where mosquitoes that bad, it's not going to happen. They're going to be up someplace else, right? And that's and and so you know, I went up to you know mm-hmm. ninety five hundred feet, and I was still fighting with these stupid mosquitoes. Mm-hmm. And it was 
and it was um and it was still so hot but then i learned that like along there's creeks and when you if it's along the creeks it seems like those areas were cooler mm-hmm. um and that and whatever breezes because of the thermals came through there seemed to make the mosquitoes maybe not quite as bad interesting yeah there you um, go so it was something that helped a little bit yeah um so first seven days, and you said you kept grinding, but did you stay in the same area after that first seven days? Did you go someplace else? How did you change so that you were finding out? No, I had I had um, I had set up a camp like I said uh, that was uh, like right on a main trail because you know that's what most uh-huh. hunters do. You just go and stay on the main trail, and so I changed um, locations. And not, it wasn't like I ran like 50 miles to another location. I just got into a different area where Mm -hmm. I could um, explore different areas. And I got off of the main Mm -hmm. like trail. And that was a big thing to do and not be camping like right on that area where there was just a lot of heavy use, whether it be like outfitters taking horses up and down through there. All There was just a lot of traffic like right. Okay. I, you know, I was trying to cook dinner one night, and here comes a mule, uh, mules and horses right through my <laughs> camp, kind of. You know, and then you're wondering, well, there's no elk here. I wonder why. Well, you know, you know what? Some people, though, and I think that's why some people get stuck in a situation where they don't see animals, is that those people going back and forth on the trail, those mule trains and those horses and other hikers stuff, is almost a sense of security. And so, a lot of times, some people will sacrifice actually be in some place where they're going to get into animals over that sense of security. So it all goes back to like that, that fear of the dark or that need for security and, you know, something like that. Yeah. And it's certainly nice to have, to be able to, you know, visit with people and those things, but I really had a focus that I was there to hunt. And so I, I just, I really needed to be in a place where the elk weren't being um, constantly pestered. Um, by people, I mean, that were, you know, riding on their horses and blowing a cow call and just doing right. stuff like no, that. Absolutely. So once, once I found those areas where those people weren't, it, it wasn't that I had to out hike people. I just had to out like look at where the elk wanted to be. Yep. And cause I, you know, I kind of felt like being by myself, you know, if I hiked in two and a half miles and then I, I, I day hunted, say another two miles tops to three miles i mm-hmm. felt like that was about with the temperatures as far from my vehicle as i should be not because i didn't feel safe going further but i thought man how am i going to get i don't know that i could get an animal out by myself so to- know, such good thinking time. there man that's just so so that's um that's prudent on your part so the the other thing that i realized is that being off of the trail, you know, there's a lot of game trails that are available for you to use, but you have to get off the main trail to really, you know, find those. And, you know, some places I was like learning that, oh, I could use these game trails to navigate through. And when I first got out there, I was just like, I don't, I don't want to say this, but a bull in a China shop, I would just like go into the brush, you know, and I would be like, I'm not, I'm not the ninja. I'm like a a Peterbilt <laughs> going through the timber because I'm like, well, I got to go where, you know, no man's gone before. But it, I wasn't being smart about how I moved through the timber. I was like, 
going through the most difficult areas and I was getting exhausted trying to figure my way through. And then once I'm like, well, the elk are taking the easy road, I'm going to use their the way they go. Yeah. And I've started to learn how they moved, like how they moved in the, because there's, there's, you can have a point A and a point B and you're both going to get there, but one way is going to be easier. And I found out that very seldom the elk didn't have the easiest way. Like I would look at it Perhaps. and I'd be like, and they zigzag so far out of their way. I'm just going to go straight. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I would go straight, I'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm exhausted because I just came <laughs> like 2,000 feet because they just stayed on the ridge lines and just worked their way over yeah. real easy. You know, so again, what what we are trying to do is what they are trying to do. So, you know, you've got animals that their whole goal is to is to preserve energy, to preserve themselves, to use as little energy as possible. And so they're going to go the passive least resistance. And, you know, I always tell everybody, too. So, you know, you think about this. You go into somebody's house and you want to find their kitchen. You want to find their bedroom. You want to find their living room. You want to find the bathroom. You follow hallways, right? And that's the exact same thing. You know, these elk have hallways. They have these paths they use that take them from each of their needs and the places that they want to go. And, you know, especially in areas of pinch points or um, where uh, terrain takes things and, and creates a little tighter type path, you know, you're going to get really strong trails in areas that are going to show you how much use. And when you see a lot of use in an area, then you can recognize that you have that pinch point, that you have that funnel, those areas that are going to bring animals through there. And so that's something to pay attention to. And you're absolutely right, man. Those trails, you follow their trails and you're going to find the easiest path and you're going to find the path that is going to take you to the places they want to go to and come from. So that was, that was so smart on your part. And so I just, I, I was trying to learn the elk, the elk were teaching me. I just had to be observant of what they were showing. So true. And and that's kind of leads into how I, got the elk that I did is that, you know, when you first pull up to a trailhead or wherever you're going hunting, you know, you look for, for me, I look at cornfields and soybean fields, thousands of acres, but right, right. When, you, when you get out in this country, it's huge. And you look at this mountain and the first thing you think is like, I got to race to the top. Cause I, I don't know why I just think I got to get to the top. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, um, realizing now that there's a lot of hunting in between the, the bottom and the top and it's huge. It's huge country and it can be overwhelming, but mm-hmm. once you start to like, okay, they need food, they need security, and they need water, and you start to to um, find those things. And, you know, maybe in my area, water wasn't a big thing. When I hunted in New Mexico, water was everything. Yeah, if yeah, you absolutely. you step by a water hole, if you're patient, you're going to get a shot. Mm-hmm. But here, if you sat by water, that's like um, you may as well go sit on I-90 because you're not going to see an elk there, and you know. It's just not going to happen. They, they, there's water everywhere. Absolutely. But, Good point. So when I was hunting, the thing that helped me with this bull is I, I was seeing like where I was, I found sign of elk, fresh sign. And then I was like, well, where, I is in the middle of the day. And I'm like, well, where are these elk going to? Why are they here? And what I had found was I had found their beds. And then they weren't so, there. So before you go on. I, I want you to 
repeat what you just said because I want to make sure they heard it in the back. What was that question well, you asked yourself? Well, I was like, where are, where are they coming from and where are they going to? Because I found their bed. So mm-hmm. I needed, now I was trying to like, that's the part that I was missing before I didn't. I was like, oh, I found a bed. Well, good. And then I would just stop there. Well, no, no, no. That's just the beginning. You found one sign. Now it leads you somewhere or it should lead you somewhere. So I start looking like, all right, if they're sleeping here, then they're going somewhere. It could be, you know, three miles away to get water or they could be real, real short distance. They're going to eat or something. Yeah, it could but be over the next ridge. I mean, over it could the next be. Ridge. So, yeah. And that happened to be exactly what it was. Yep. It was over just the next ridge is where they were going to eat. And so I started backtracking and then I was, I was trying, then as I was getting closer and the thing that, as I was saying earlier, it started to change the, the behavior, the animals started to change and they, the bulls were getting cows more gathered up. Um, and they were, um, more responsive to calling, but I, I did not know, how to call. I listened to you guys um, and I got calls and I, I started like, you know, fumbling my way through. I, I just have to, because I just, I'm, I'm looking at your text that you sent me and stuff. And, and one of the things that you said in there was, uh, when I look at, where is that at? Oh yeah. I didn't know a scenario from a bologna sandwich. <laughs> so. oh, okay. That's true. I didn't, I just thought, you know, you blow, you blow the horn and they come running. Well, <laughs> it doesn't, it just, it doesn't work that way. Cause I, I, I've like observed other hunters and I'll watch, like, they'll just sit on the hillside and they'll, and they'll blow a, um, bugle all day long i mean literally i've seen it all day long and mm-hmm. then they're like man I, I don't know these elk they're just not responsive and i'm like this poor elk his ears hurt because you've just been you know calling to him all day long <laughs> and the the situation with the scenario that changed it for me is that it wasn't just like making one elk sound it was like make this elk believe that he is missing out on something over here because they're really curious animals yes and so if you can make them really, and you're like, uh, you'll say, you have to have emotion in your calling. And I'm like, what are these guys talking about emotion? I don't, you know, I'm not trying to kiss this elk. I just want to stick an arrow in it. I, <laughs> but how do I do that? And I'm like, oh, I, and the more I was around, the more I could see how the elk communicated. I would be close to the elk, but I wasn't. I wasn't right with the elk yet and I couldn't, I started to hear the cows, how they would communicate. And I saw a baby get lost. And then I heard the baby calling its mom from like a mile away. They got separated. And then I, I was able to, Oh, that's what's happening is the mom's calling the baby. The baby's calling the mom. And then the bull gets stirred up because he thinks something's going on. And so I did all with the limited amount of calling I could do, which are simple sounds. You, you know, you don't have to be um, Audrey McWayne uh, from uh, Trophy Ridge Outfitters, world, you know, world elk calling champion, or any of those people. But the scenario is what changed it for me. And my scenarios were so simple. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I didn't have a lot in my arsenal. I couldn't. I couldn't bugle very good at all. I couldn't. Um, I couldn't convince a cow to come over to me. But what I was able to use was like a lost calf call, and mm-hmm. I used that sugar. The sugar was one of the easiest calls for me to blow um, and to learn oh, that's awesome. to call. So you know, the first one I got it and I wrecked it because I. Well, I I thought I'll practice in my truck so I can't be embarrassed by anybody listening to me. <laughs> but then I left it in the dash, and then that's not good for Gandhi. Your yeah, I, it's gone. Not a good thing. But no. once I learned how how delicate and feathery that call is, it was easy for me as a beginner to blow. So then I started to get a little confident with it, and mm-hmm. I call the elk with the I used the lost calf. And then when I would do that, I would just gently start raking the tree, you know, gently. And I had some, before I got my bull, I had called in bulls doing that. And, you know, sometimes I was so, I I didn't, I had never called in an elk. I just would rake and all of a sudden I'd be looking up and there's an elk looking at me. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is crazy. But I was putting on a scenario like, it got kind of crazy. My scenarios, like I would just be running around in there making noise because the elk make a lot of noise. And I didn't really, you know, deer tiptoe through, but these elk, when they come through, it sounds like a herd of them. So you have to sound like a herd of them. And I would be like throwing rocks, picking up sticks and breaking them and raking the trees. And then, I mean, I would aggressively, I'd grab a big, like eight foot long two by four and start, you know, rubbing the tree and beating the branches and I could not believe how those elk would respond to that. And if I would call, they would go the other way. But I, if I did that, they were coming in. So you were using the environmental noises. Because I know, uh, I think you said something about that you glunked and, you know, that, uh, you, you know, you use the raking and you use the rocks and just to sound like, use those environmental sounds that convince them. Well, I actually heard elk glunking because you guys said glunking. So then I get on the computer and I look up, what is an elk glunk? <laughs> and then, so I hear it and I'm like, oh, there's no way an elk. I've, I've been in the, I've hunted elk. I've never heard him make that sound, but maybe it's a New Mexico thing. You know, they see all these <laughs> weird things on there. I'm like, <laughs> it's, awesome. not, it's not an elk thing, you know? <sighs> so like I'm, I'm in, in this elk that I got, I had called in two other elk on the same scenario and one of them stood on the other side of a tree and was glunking at me and I was like now that's a glunk that's unbelievable and then once I had heard what a glunk was I'm like okay I believe these guys it is a real sound and then it's so easy to make that it drives the elk crazy and I was Uh like not real difficult I mean like I say I'm a veterinarian from Illinois so I've never heard it in person, but I have now, and it's a real sound, and it does work. Yeah, yeah, that you know, it's it's uh, it's, and 
it's not the same rodeo and when other elk hear that they know that there's a bull tending cows and if they're tending cows then they want to be around where those cows are so it's so effective because it's not something and it's it's a low vocalization everything that you were doing here and that's what's kind of cool because you know i, I I heard you say that you didn't bugle really well, so you were given a weak bugle. Um, that has benefit. And then it says that you're raking, you know, uh, and that you're throwing rocks. All of this stuff is more low vocalization. That's going to do a couple of things. It's going to be something that the elk haven't heard. It's not the same old rodeo. And it's not going to be bringing other hunters into you as well. And I think that, you know, a lot of times people are like trying to like scream at the elk or whatnot. And mm -hmm. it's like, I think once you get in with the elk, um, and that was something that I, it took me some time to understand. And um, I think that that's what drove my passion is once I started getting into the elk. And when I mean in the elk, I mean like close, in close proximity to the elk. Mm -hmm. That's what just made me get up at four o'clock every morning because I'm oh, like, absolutely. I couldn't hardly stand it. It was like, I, I cannot believe you can get this close to elk. And so, so Tom, here, here we, and I just want to patch this up a little bit because you didn't see an animal for seven days. Then you started doing things like going on their trails and figuring out using the same areas that they did. Is that what got you into close proximity to those animals oh de de there's no question because it the area it is it is so big and i walked i walked i mean the, the biggest day i had was 15 miles of walking and so i realized wait a minute why am i walking so much i probably walked by 50 elk doing trying to cover miles and i right. was not observant of what i needed to be and so when i slowed down i wasn't covering those kind of miles i just was you know, okay, what does Joe do? He kicks the elk poop. Well, why does he kick it? Well, he wants to see, is it is it that light green, soft color, like they were here really That's so funny recently? that you said that, because I've never thought of how anybody sees me doing that. That's... that's <laughs> well, I'm laughing. I, you know, I'm, you got to understand, I'm up on this mountain pretty much on my own, and I haven't had a lot of people to talk to so you you start talking to yourself well i wonder what old joe's doing because it's kind of like you guys are you know base camp your base camp on the on the podcast so i can listen to that at night in my tent when i'm like trying to go to sleep or whatever mm -hmm. but i'm mm -hmm. thinking oh, i wonder what these guys would be doing you know at this situation so seven days without seeing an animal you start getting on the actual trails you start realizing where are they going to, where are they coming from, and then you start getting into the animals. Now, let me ask you this. Once you started getting into them, did it change your ability day by day to then get into them? I mean, did, you know, were you now, were you finding a key to the door, I guess, is is kind of what I'm saying. Well, I, I, I've been a hunter for, I feel like, a lot of years now, and mm -hmm. I also feel like I was letting some things, I got a little bit, I want to say sloppy with, mm -hmm. you know, people say, oh, you got to watch the wind. And I'm like, oh, you know, that's sure you got to watch the wind. I know you do. But when you start figuring in the wind and the thermals, mm -hmm. it really, an elk made me appreciate that because I would, I would be like, oh, there's elk there. I see elk. 
I know there's elk there. I hear elk and I'm like a half a mile away mm-hmm. and the wind is blowing right up the valley towards them. And I'm like, oh, that's okay. I can sneak up on them. <laughs> and I'm like, all of a sudden I'm like, I'm like, I make three steps and I'm like, man, don't those elk sound like they're getting further away? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, I, you can't out. I mean, no, their sniffers are so good. And so like trying to take shortcuts of like not going around a ridge to get to them. It, 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 it just, I proved to, I had to, I'm a hard learner. So I had to prove to myself that a half mile away, you'd think all the trees would deflect your scent and no, it doesn't work. No, it just, it's not possible. They, they can, they have that smell that's, I don't know how they do it, but they can. So the cool thing is you're starting to get into elk. And I think what really helped you to grow is you became an observer when you were in with them, not, you know, we're hunters, but the only way that we can become better hunters is by learning from the critter, watching their reaction, how they communicate, what they're doing when they communicate, how certain things affect them. And it's so funny when they don't know you're there, you get to see these personalities in them as well, that they play, that they get angry, that they get scared, that they're, you know, they have concerns and what is it that concerns them and, you know, watching how their ears work, what they do when they go down to feed, you know, where are they looking first? Are they looking and listening to one side while they're smelling to the other? How do they bed down? You know, which direction do they bed down? What type of area are they bedding down in? You know, you become an observer of all this and this becomes your knowledge set that, you know, we talk about gut feelings, you know, people always talk about, I made a decision on a gut feeling. Well, gut feelings are nothing but decisions made on a lot of history and a lot of information that we have on that situation that we're dealing with. So in order to make some of those correct decisions, have those good gut feelings, you need all of this data, man. And and that's what I saw in, in, in listening to you now that you were doing. You became that observer. You really started learning from the animals, and that took you to a whole different level. And once you're able to get in with the elk, they teach you. So I got in with the elk, and at first I was like, I would I would get in with them early in the morning, and then I, I figured out that, if you if you follow the elk, it, it's okay mm-hmm. to follow them, but not like I was doing. I would get like right behind them, and I would follow them, and I would get picked off all the time. But I figured <laughs> out if I was like above them or if I was below them, the elk would I could move right with them. Mm-hmm. But if I for some reason was on their backtrack, like I went exactly where they went, they would look back at me and they would just be gone. Yeah. And, you know, and I try to tell people, man, if you if you can get on the parallel side with them as well, um, because they do, they have a, there is that back sentry cow. I don't know if you saw her. <laughs> I don't know if it happened to you, but there's always that trailing cow, man, that will yep. stand there and look on the back trail to see if anything's coming that way. And, and that's when, when I got the bull that I did, what I was doing is I was putting on a scenario and mm-hmm. I had called in the bull that came up and was glunking behind the brush and he kind of got bored with me and then he wandered off and then I called in another bull and in the meantime his cows were kind of now when you say you called I mean, in what were you doing to call him in um what was I doing um in that situation I was glunking I was raking a tree um I didn't throw any rocks 
Um, and I had just made a very few, very few just faint cow calls. Okay, cool. Um, and that and that was and that was all that I um, did. I didn't go crazy because I I knew that elk were in the area, and I didn't want to alert them. I wanted them just to come in easy. And when they did, I had like cows that were within ten yards of me, and I was like thinking to myself, oh, I should you know. I'm down to day 30 here. I should just shoot a cow because mm-hmm. my tag is good for a cow. But I was like, I, my dad had told me, he's like, Tommy, just be, be patient out there. I'm like, dad, it's 30 days of hunting and I have yet to fling an arrow. I said, I, and he's like, you came to get a bull, just keep hunting. Mm-hmm. And so these cows go by and, um, and there's this bull that keeps um, bugling and he's like in charge of these cows, but he, he, he won't come up to my calls, but these other two bulls were like glunking and raking the trees. And, um, but I, I didn't, I had so many cows around. I couldn't just like go running up to this bull and shoot him. I couldn't get there and there was cows everywhere. And so I kind of let everything kind of, you know, feed off. And then I'm like, I'm going to move down this, um, drainage a little bit um and see you know maybe i could call him in and you know he would bugle back and he just kept staying in the same area same area and i was like why does this bull he won't move and his cows there's cows here and then it was starting joe to get like it was getting close to dark Mm -hmm. and i was like man something has got to happen i've been in these elk you know and i can't really take it my heart's pounding i've been in them for like it feels like two hours, but it's probably maybe an hour that I was with them. And they were moved. What, where I caught them is where they had bedded to where they wanted to feed. And I was in between there. Well, what it was getting close to dark. And I'm like, well, you're going to, you know what? You got nothing to lose. The wind is good. Just go for it. And I'm like, you know what? There's cows here. What could I do? What aggravates a cow more than anything? You're thinking that the baby's lost. So I thought, ah, I'll, I don't have many calls, so I just do this lost baby call, and um, so a lost calf. calf. Call. You're doing lost I calf call. I do this lost little baby calf, you know. Uh-huh. And I, I do that, and I mean, these five cows pick up their ears and they like come in and they encircle me, <laughs> and I mean, they're just <laughs> how, I mean, how just, awesome is this, man? This experience, well, right? I'm like, oh my gosh, so the, uh, this is crazy. They're just all around me and they're mad, you know, and they're like <laughs> looking for this baby, and I'm like, I'm like. I'm stuck in front of this tree like a statue because I'm like, man, if I even take a breath, these cows are going to blow out of here. And all of a sudden, it's like just getting to the last of shooting light. And this bull's like, he couldn't take it anymore. And he comes up and I'm like, it was, I couldn't see his antlers, but I knew it was a bull that was in a wallow because he was just, he was full of mud. Uh I'm like, oh goodness, that's, that's, you know, I'm thinking this, you know, when you're, when you're what I call mano y mano with them, you're, it's hand to hand combat. These elk are big animals. Yes, sir. And when I saw them, I'm like, oh my gosh, this thing is like, it, it's a giant. I, and so, I mean, just then reflexes just took over and I like drew and he like took one more step forward and I'll, I'll let it fly and I heard it hit him and he went up the hill like 20 yards and then he he just um, stood up there with his cows and just was um 
he started bleeding up there and then I, I wanted to go check my arrow and stuff, but I was like, I, it all happened. Once it happened, it all happened. Um, so fast, you know, it wasn't like I had time, like he was, you know, bugling at me and he came in and I watched him come in for a long ways. It was right. like, bam, he was just right there broadside at 10 yards. Everybody always so says that. Like, everybody always says it happened so fast. I want everybody to hear that because everything can go from nothing happening to in seconds, everything happening. So it, it just, I mean, he was just there that fast. And, mm -hmm. and I, I, once I, uh, figured out, I walked back cause I'm like, well, where, you know, my curiosity, I had to have curiosity to become a better hunter. So I'm like curious, what, why is this elk? Why did he stay down there? Why did he hang up on me? You know? Mm -hmm. And what I found out was that he was down there in a wallowing yep. and I didn't realize, I didn't know it was there. Mm -hmm. And so it, I just, it, but I think being curious as a hunter is something that I picked up from you guys. Be curious to see just, it's not, we, as hunters, I get into, well, did I get an elk that I did not get an elk? But it was learning from the elk and learning to be curious, like, well, where are the elk going from and where are they going to? And Absolutely. why are they doing, you know, that was what really changed um, being successful or not being successful. And the first elk hunt that I went on, I took a friend of mine, Mitchell, who's an electrician. We, we go hunting in Montana, and it was more like we were on a nature walk. I mean, we both love to hunt, and, I mean, he's an excellent hunter. He's grown up since he was in a car seat hunting, but now he goes hunting with me, but it was like a nature walk because we really didn't get into the elk. Um, right. Like, because we didn't know you got to get off. You, there's just, you have to learn. Yeah, you're basically, a lot of people, they're, they're taking their bow for a hike or they're hiking and hoping, you know, so, yeah. And, 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 you know, I'm not saying that to be mean. It's just, again, it's just that lack. It's that lack of understanding, that lack of knowledge. And so if, you know, a lot of people equate hunting with that word, I'm just going to walk around and I'm going to keep going and until I see an animal. And, and really the whole hunt part of it is, is deciphering. It's about learning. It's about understanding where you're at, reading the signs, being able to um, read the habits, know the animal, where they want to be. That's the hunt part of it, you know, and, and it's, it's the, that's what is the game changer. I mean, you've you've mentioned so many things that here have just been so awesome that changed the game for you. You know, just the, you know, think about this. You said it, you only had a little bit of shooting light left. That tells me right there, man, you were already there, committed to be there after dark, you know, oh. and something that before you might have actually started heading back to camp about 530 to make sure that you got there in time. And then I I heard you also say that when you were in there, you know, you just gave these really, really light calls, you know, and it's, if I could describe it to anybody, it's kind of like this. Sometimes um, it's like cologne. Instead of just putting a little bit of scent, a little bit of dab so that it is something that somebody can catch a scent of, we want to just throw it all on and just, you know, everybody's going to gag on it, right? And sometimes we do that with calls. We we actually gag the elk with our calls. We give them too much, too loud. And um, uh, instead of, you know, doing what they do and reading the room, you know, 
are, are they making a whole lot of noises? Well, if they are, yes, then I can do what they're doing. Are they making very few low vocalizations? Well, then if they're doing that, you know, read the room. You don't want to go screaming in that room there, man, because it's not a loud room. You know, it's kind of like being that loud person that walks in the middle of a quiet family and just starts, you know, putting on the Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> it's like and and it's... These, these elk get chased so much. Yes. They are getting chased. And, and the thing of it is, I mean, it's just like you move over one little drainage and all of a sudden you're in elk, but it it's very subtle. I used to think like, oh, I've, I've sat in my truck and I, I listen to my customers that have elk mm-hmm. and they're just screaming, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, there are times when they do that, but, you know. Sure, sometimes it I works. Started, when I sneak into the timber and I'm listening to them, I can hear them just, they'll just be doing very, very subtle grunts to their cows. I mean, they're very quiet animals, actually. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, at least where I was at, they weren't like just screaming all the time. They did on occasion, but it seems like they do that once or twice, and then they got tired of people chasing them, so they got really, really quiet, and so I couldn't call, I couldn't call loud anyways, um, yeah, like you're, you you actually use the tool set you were given, which is, look, that's very cool, too, is a lot of people are afraid to call because they're thinking that their tool set isn't good enough for it. But you got to use the tools and you use what tools you have or else you're not going to do anything. I mean, you were creating you were creating situations using your calls, right? You weren't you weren't waiting and hoping for something to happen. So you, you yeah, you I had to get in an area where I knew there was elk and mm-hmm. then I had to be confident enough to just, you know, it's like at first I'm you're embarrassed to blow your call because you're like, <laughs> "God, I hope there's not another hunter around here that would actually hear this horrible bugle, but once the elk, the elk will reinforce it for you. I had um, tried to play an instrument, and I'm not inst- I, I can't play an instrument, so I didn't have good, you know, um, musical skills. But um, Oliver, my step grandson, he he could do elk calls that sound amazing without any calls, mm-hmm. and so he started doing it. And he was actually teaching me how to make your tongue do those sounds he's only eight years old but somehow he picked it up right um and i think kids maybe learn it easier easier than adults do and at first you know i was like oh the diaphragm thing was a real problem uh for me but like i say i got i got that the sugar and it was small enough to fit in my mouth i wasn't joking on it and i was able to make enough noise that they knew um, but it's a very gentle um, call, and I liked that about it. Yeah, that's the whole idea of the light latex, you bet, man. So let me ask you this, though. When you were doing these sounds, when you were doing your rock rolling, and when you were having animals come to you, were they responding vocally, or were they responding only by coming in silently? Um. I would say that they really came in silent and that's mm-hmm. probably the thing that, you know, I watch a lot of videos, uh, those Primos videos where they come in and they're slobbering and they're just like <laughs> ready to fight the world. I you know? love those videos, man. I but, do. Yeah. I, I love them, but yeah. it's not, it doesn't happen that way. And like so no. many times I would be caught like, I can't believe I'm just so glad I was hunting by myself and no one saw me because mm-hmm. they'd be like, Oh my goodness, what's wrong with you? You just, you, I, at one point I had, th- 
another time I had three elk that were coming up a drainage and I got so focused on this one elk that kept screaming at me and he was up on this hill and I was like, I wonder if I could get up, and it's a hill, it's a mountain, but I'm like, I wonder if I could get up there to him. And I'm focused on thinking about him, and I forget about the one that's coming up the drainage. Mm -hmm. And I look over, and he's standing there at 50 yards, and I've got this big billy club that I'm raking the the tree with. And I'm like, he's got to just be laughing at me. Like, what is this idiot doing? (laughs) That his His bow is leaning against the, you know, I should have been quiet and more observant Mm because I thought he was going to come in bugling, but he didn't. He just like snuck up the drainage to me, and there he was, broadside at 50 yards. You know, I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions out there, and I think a lot of people would actually help themselves if they really hear this, and that is that, you know, everybody thinks that you have to hear an elk making noises before they're coming into you that they're going to scream, they're going to bugle or, you know, they're going to grunt. And and that does happen at times. Absolutely. But it, it does not have to happen. There's a lot of animals that are going to come into you without making a sound. And there's reasons behind that. But, um, you know, I, I think that's so critical for people to... and it's hard for them to grasp because we're so response oriented. We're a lot like the elk are, you know, you know, if a a bull elk gives a bugle and he doesn't hear one out there, well, until he catches a scent, he doesn't think there's another animal out there. We're a lot the same way, but you know, they know the areas, they go into the same places, they use the same trails. Again, if we do the things they do, we're going to have more success by following the same. Go ahead. Yeah. I, I think they were just like, and I noticed the elk's behavior changed. You know, at first the little raghorns or spikes or whatever, uh-huh. they, they were they were like ruling the roost, you know. And I was like, boy, they don't have very big elk around here. <laughs> and then I started once once the bigger boys came out, then the little boys decided, you know, maybe I'm not going to bugle my head off and I'm not going to come running in. Absolutely. They just stopped doing that and they came in silent. And I was like. How could possibly could a 700-pound animal sneak in on you? Yeah. Um, amazing. Amazing. They mm-hmm. will just walk in, and they will be there, and they will catch you, and you'll be like, I can't believe, you know, they would, and I, you could get that sick feeling like somebody's watching me, and you would be, like, trying to look around, and, yeah, there's an elk that already has you, like, way pegged, and they, they could know, uh, you know, from a half a mile away, I would make a call and they would come right to the tree mm-hmm. and I would only have made one call. I'm right. like, how do they do that? Mm-hmm. I, they do. And they know right where you're at. So um, what kind of, uh, when you were calling, were you just using your mouth towards the animals or using a grunt tube, bugle tube or anything like that? So I, before the soloist came out, um, you guys had some of those native by Carlton ones on your website. Yes. I think. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, so I used one of those because I knew I was going to be by myself and my friend wasn't that comfortable with calling. So I knew if I was going to get elk, I was going to have to do it by myself. So I almost, I don't know that I ever really called very much without using the, I think the bugle tube made it sound um, maybe more elk-like, but it wasn't, I wasn't trying to like be powerful so you were using a flex to tube, though, right? You were using the oh, yeah, old yeah. Carlton flex, yeah, the one that yeah, I always recommended. Yeah, flex. yeah. And 
that tube, I actually lost it one day. It slid out of the yeah. camouflage folder. <laughs> so I put some zip ties on it. I, I walked. It took me two miles to get that thing back. But <laughs> you're in the middle of Idaho. There's not like a Cabela's. You just go no. run to and, and not for that tube. And you're not going to find that tube at Cabela's. you got to go to Walmart to find the one you're talking about. And yeah. you're so lucky it, if you it, find it, it now at all. You, yeah. you, you, you can't find them now. And, yeah. and, and so the the... The thing that worked for me is because I was able to, you, you can direct the elk where you want him to come into mm-hmm. or to think where you're at. And so that was a big, that was something that I didn't know anything about until I ever listened to you because I thought it was a baseball bat and you just, you know, zing your calls out there. And it made sense. People were like, the other thing that I learned from base camp that I thought was important is, great, you did a scenario. But did you do this scenario in a great place? And I, I, I was hunting along a creek, and there was a big ledge above it. I said, ah, oh, if I was an elk, I'd probably just come over that edge and peek over and look down in here. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I don't want to crawl up there, so I'm just going to call from right here. Well, sure enough, I make a few calls, and here comes the bull right where I thought he'd come. And he just poked his head down in there, and he looked at me like, well, you were too lazy to come up here and I'm not coming down there because I know you're down there. <laughs> and no matter how I directed it, it was, I, I put on a scenario in a poor, I made a poor decision of where I made my scenario. And so, so it was all I about had, the setup. So let's make that clear. Setup. And if those, yeah. those bulls will hang up on you because they will come in and Absolutely. If, if they're looking. Sure. I didn't, you're like, stop and scan. I'm like, what is a stop and scan? Why is this so technical? I, but it's critical because if a bull, if you make a sound, he knows where the sound came from. He's going to look there. Yeah. And if he can look across a wide open, you know, area that you're like, Oh, this is beautiful. I can shoot all the way across here, mm-hmm. but he can see that mm-hmm. he's not going to come and walk across the wide open. So you can just shoot him. No, he's going to, so, if he does, especially if he should see you and doesn't see you, that's, that is a red flag for him. And, and, and people, I did not realize that. And I had an opportunity um, on a farm that I owned to get a, a deer that I had been chasing for three years. And exactly that happened. I have had very little luck rattling um, deer in, mm-hmm. but I rattled to this deer. I did. I rattled blindly, and he came in like on a string to it and came right to the base of the tree. And I was like, I set up at the tree. I went to the tree that I did because I knew that he was an old, smart deer and he would be looking. If I just called on the edge of the field, he's not going to go there. But because I did it in a brushy area, he like came in like looking like, where are you? And then he stopped at the tree and he's like, I should see you, but I don't see you. And I'm like, oh, it's too late because I'm shooting the arrow. Mm-hmm. And, that, and, it's, and I learned that from elk hunting and then I took that to the whitetail woods with me. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. No, absolutely, man. So, so many good things here, but I mean, I just listening to you just makes my chest swell. Um, it just makes me so proud to, to hear the things that you learned and the things that you went through. And, and now you were in a special case scenario that you were out there for 30 days. So I, I want people to realize that your 30 days most people hunt five to seven days. So mm-hmm. your 30 days gave you five to six years of what most other people do before they get this, right? 
Do you, you understand what I'm saying? You I know? do, absolutely. And I think the other thing that gave me more, um, Joe, is what you had said. And it's like, um, you have got to be willing to put the time in. And, you know, I would love to get up and have a nice cup of coffee and breakfast, but mm-hmm. I was getting up uh, sometimes 3.30 in the morning to yes, get sir. to a spot I wanted to get to, and I might not get home till 10 o'clock. And I thought, I thought that was almost impossible. I thought, you know what, those guys on those podcasts can say that, but until you're out there and you actually make the sacrifice to do it, mm-hmm. it is it deve- it gives you so much more opportunities to get to locations where you couldn't get to because I now wasn't afraid to be in the dark. One hundred percent, absolutely. I knew I had a pin. I'm going to walk to this place because I know there's sign up there, so I'm going to get there at a good time. And so it gave me even even more time. And absolutely, I was blessed to have a lot of time to go there. I made sacrifices, but it was that important to me to 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 have that in depth of a of a hunt with elk. Yeah. Yeah, at the absolutely, man. I mean, and that's that's what was so cool. And that's what I want people to realize though is that you have some people that if if you were to take your hunt in what most people do, 5 to 7 days, Year one, they probably didn't see anything, <laughs> just like you didn't in those first seven yep. days. Year two, they might figure out, well, we can get on the trails and start to, you know, find maybe these animals a little bit. Year three, they're actually doing the, some of the things they learned and now getting into animals and starting to hear and learn from some of those critters like that. Year four, do you see where I'm going with this? It took year five. If you were to break down these into five-day hunts, or it was year four, if you break them down into seven-day hunts, you know, that you, before you actually killed an animal because of the steps in the process of learning. And that, though, is also, you know, you got to consider the fact that you had some background education by listening to us, listening to other people, going through base camp. So this might have been, you know, for you, even though you got 30 days this time, it might have been, without that info, another 30 days, another year, and another 30 days because you just didn't have the, you know, the knowledge base. But by by having that knowledge base, you were able to apply it and recognize things during your hunt that you were able to make decisions and to change things and to try things and to, you know, not worry about how, you know, how great your call sound, but you started to use them and you started to use them the correct ways. You were out early before daylight you were back after dark and most likely you were eating during the day you were sleeping during the day there's times that you do that so that you get your rest you learn to live like the critters learn while you're out there and i met um a gentleman that he told me he had hunted 23 years archery and he had never harvested an elk cow or a bull and i said well I said, I've been hunting these things for like 15 years. I've never even come close with archery equipment. Mm-hmm. And at that time I had it and I said, you've got to get, go on the base camp with the blue collar crew. And I said, it will take, cause we're all, I feel hunters are so good. They're like, they're 90% they have the knowledge. Oh, absolutely. Base. I mean, yep. they're, they're so close and it's that extra little 10% that just pushes you over the top. And that, that part is so difficult to get, but I felt encouraged by your base camp and by um, 
the podcast to be able to empower myself to do it and to gain enough, uh, whether it was right or wrong, to um, to gain enough um, security in myself to be able to go out and 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 do that and feel confident enough that hey, I can survive out here. I can filter water. I can, you know, eat. I can take care of myself. And that was something that I never was able to achieve by just going and someone else takes me out there. And this is where the elk are, that type of a scenario, but where I was able to, you know, pick the areas that I wanted to to learn about. And it, it, and it, it changed because of learning from your guys's experiences, you know, of what you had done before, what worked for you, what didn't work. Then I was basing what I was doing, trying to learn, uh, the elk, you have to learn it yourself. Yeah. No one could just give you the magic formula. If you do this and you call this way, the elk's going to come running to you. It just doesn't work that yeah. way. I, I love when people say, like I've heard you say it a couple of times, and I've heard you guys say, and I thought, no way, <laughs> until it happens, right? So, no, that's that's so cool. And I, I want everybody to know that um, uh, it, it's not important what the size is to me at all, but you shot a, a, a beautiful 5x5 five five bull. Um, this is your first DIY, and how did that meat taste, bud? It's unbelievable. I think my favorite, <laughs> we made some wonderful Italian sausage, and we had... Um, You're Italian, uh, huh? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Sicilian, half Sicilian, so yeah. So Italian sausage was first on the docket, and then we made some elk stroganoff that was absolutely delicious but i think when you um uh pack an elk out on your back Mm -hmm. um yep it really it means something and then also i was fortunate enough to be able to share some of that meat with the people that um made that hunt possible for me Um, i have a veterinary clinic and so um, those people are eating elk meat and, and, and enjoying it, but they were able to keep the wheels on the bus while I was gone, and they knew how near and dear this was to my heart, and uh, just a lot of things in life that happen. And you know, I I would be remiss to not thank the elk bros because I felt like you were there, but oh, the, the veterinarian Glenn that um, taught me about nature and hunting yes, and absolutely. enjoying it, and, and as a veterinarian, you're supposed to care for animals but they're also there um, for us to use um, for humanity, for the betterment of people. And all of those things came into play. And then, you know, to thank God above for creating this amazing uh, country that we get to go in and hunt. It's, you know, you drive by on the interstate and you just, it doesn't do justice to what is out there. And once you open your eyes to it, you really, you see it, but you don't see it until you're, when you're in it, it's really amazing. It, it is. Amen. Absolutely, man. Hey, Thomas, man, I, I just got to thank you. I want to thank you so much because this has been the first edition of Elk Camp Conversations, and uh, you're the first one to do this, and it has just been outstanding. Just being on the phone with you, having this conversation, I you can't see my face, and I've been smiling the whole time. You can hear me chuckle here and there, and, and you know, it's, it's just because I take so much joy out of 
you know, listening to other people that are having these epiphanies that are finding these things out that are, you know, the light bulbs going on and they're having this incredible um, experiences and finding success out there. And yeah, there's a lot of ways to define success, um, but we know ultimately we go out there because we want to punch that tag. And, you know, the fact that you did all of these things and you had all of this growth, man, Thank you so much for sharing that with us and for spending the time with me this morning. Joe, it, it was absolutely my pleasure, but I, I think that one thing that I just want to share with people is that elk hunting is, it, it is an incredible endeavor. It is, it is so amazing. I'm just a normal guy, and that's why when I saw the name of the podcast, Blue Collar, I'm like, I'm a blue collar <laughs> guy. I have, I have broken fingers. I have... Um, you know, calluses on my hands. I work hard. I feel every day, mm-hmm. um, lots of hours. And um, elk hunting helped me to realize part of life that I was missing. I need to be more observant. Not every day is guaranteed. We're going to lose people in our lives. And you know what? To 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 really cherish those relationships are things that elk hunting helped me. So take elk hunting and then move it to your personal life. And then when that comes full circle, then you're part of the elk bros crew. Cause that's the, what it is about. I mean, that's what you guys, that's what I've gotten from being, you know, part of the campfire at elk, elk bros. I never have met you guys. I feel like I know every one of you, but, um, wow. hours of listening, but you know, I, I appreciate all that you've done. You've cha- you guys really, truly changed my life in a positive way. Hopefully I can be a better person to, to not only be a better elk hunter, but be a better person. Wow. I, and just in that statement, you already are, man. Thank you so much, yeah. bud. And, Thank you, uh, Appreciate the time. And for all of our listeners out there, if the elk bros have had any kind of impact on your season, I would love to hear from you on what that impact was and the type of season you had, whether it's archery or rifle, the ups, the downs, lessons learned. Y'all, you can email me at joe at elkbros.com. So elkbros is one word, E-L-K-B-R-O-S.com. Please be sure to include your phone number. And who knows, you just might be on a future episode. So until next time, y'all. And Thomas, thank you so much. Keep dreaming of the screaming. Keep believing and achieving, but most of all, keep grinding. Peace, peace, y'all.